We knew that in calling it that, that people along the way would ask us why. And that has certainly been the case. Um, and we have opportunities to share what, what Christ did for us, and not just for us, but for them. But I want you to know that part of the reason I, I share that skit is this, this wasn't really a teaching, okay? Uh, it was a conversation. Uh, was I teaching? A little bit. But not formally, I was just sharing what's true and real. And because, the reason I, I do that is because I have, sometimes, the closer I am to the Lord, I have more and more of a passion to communicate. I want to begin today with a quotation by uh, Howard Hendricks from his book that I've been reading and using quite a bit in this series. The book's called Teaching to Change Lives, and he said this, and I quote, he writes, your task as a communicator is not to impress people, but to impact them, not just to convince them, but to change them. Christian education today is entirely too passive, and that is incongruous, which means it's unsuitable or out of place. Passivity is incongruous because Christianity is the most revolutionary force on the planet. It changes people. Yet frequently we've taken this most revolutionary force on earth and set it in concrete. <laughs> That's kind of a interesting. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he goes on, the average Christian's attitude is well expressed when he sings the hymn, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Churches and Christianity often resist the very changes they are meant to bring about. Let me read that last sentence again. Uh, churches and Christianity often resist the very changes they are meant to bring about. Romans chapter 8 informs me that every believer is predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If that's really true then how much change should we rightfully expect? End quote. If you are indeed my brother or sister in Christ via the gospel, uh, I want you to think about that question. How much change? How much change to be conformed to Christ? How much change should we expect? Have you read the gospels lately? Do you see in them how Jesus spoke to people, how he related with people? Do you hear his words? Do you feel his, his compassion? Do you do as, as he did? Now, some of you say, well, we could never do as Jesus did. Okay, okay, I'll tell you what. In this notion of us becoming conformed to the image of Christ, becoming like Jesus. Let's just set aside for a second the miraculous deeds. Okay, let's put those aside. You know, the water to wine, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, the, the walking on the water, the raising the dead, casting out demons. Let's just call those uniquely Jesus and uniquely apostolic. Okay? 
What I'm saying is that's not what I mean by conforming to the image of Christ. Maybe you and I aren't called to do the miracles of Jesus because we're called to be one, to be the miracles of Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to have people know you and therefore say, wow, look at what Jesus has done in that life. That person is a miracle to change that much as a person. How much change for you and I to be conformed to Jesus Christ? How much? I see there are a lot of new folks here today, visitors. I want to welcome you to the series, A Passion to Communicate. And when we say that, we mean to commune with God and with people. It's really a series on, I'm calling it a series on teaching, but not formal teaching. It's more of being an influencer, a radical influence. And it reminds me, I was reminded as I wrote this of Hebrews 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 12, where the writer of Hebrews says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. The bottom line is this, if you know Christ, here's what I'm saying, you're called to teach. You're called to be that influence. Again, not talking about formal teaching, I'm talking about about influence, relational dynamic of the Spirit of Christ in and through you as you grow and change and inspire transformational growth and change in others through God's work in you. I'm talking about Acts 4.13. This is, this is just, the Holy Spirit just bopped that in my mind uh, when I was thinking about this. Here's what you read in Acts 4.13. When the rulers and the elders of the people saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, what kind of men were they? Ordinary guys, unschooled guys. They, the rulers and elders, were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What did these, what did these highly educated rulers and elders of the people, men who were the instigators and the manipulators to have had Jesus butchered, these were some dangerous powerful men, what did these guys take note of about Peter and John? What did they take note of? Read the passage. What's that? They'd been with Jesus. Look deeper. Read the whole thing. Was it their oratory skills? Now, was it their tremendous depth of knowledge? Was it their impressive vocabulary? Was it their John Heaney-esque good looks? Might have been that, I'm not sure. No, what took their breath away? What astonished them? What's it say? You, know, you got it now, don't you? It was their, their courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. You know what the word is for courage there? Some of you know it. It's parousia. It's parousia. We talk a lot about that over the years. 
I think it's on your screen here. Yeah, click it one more time. There it is, parousia. This is from Strong's Concordance. It means all outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, publicity, boldness, confidence, all those things. That is exactly what I mean by being called to teach. If there's one thing, if there's one thing that knowing and loving Jesus Christ as his born-again child should bring, it is a confidence and a courage in the death-defeating, sin-eating Christ. A confidence and a courage that rocks my soul and then rocks this world in the face of dangerous people. And what was it, by the way, that Peter did teach? What did he, what did he actually say? Well, he said in, in the preceding verses, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, he said, the stone that you guys, you rulers and elders of the people, rejected has become the capstone. He quoted from Isaiah. And then he went on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And those powerful men looked on and said, those guys are courageous. They heard their words. You know what else? They hated their words. But they took note of their courage, their parousia. And that courage did not come from Peter's personality, folks, because just a few short weeks ago, he was cursing and swearing and denying that he even knew Jesus Christ. But now, in this moment, in Acts 4, the Spirit of Christ lives in him, and he is teaching even the haters of Jesus. They saw the courage, and they took note of it. And where did that courage point? It pointed them this direction. This is one of the guys that had been with Jesus. It pointed to Jesus. Get this. It was like Jesus. It was like him. Boom. Lesson learned. You're called to teach. Come hell or high water, folks. Come dangerous or dainty men. You're called to lay your life on the line because Jesus is your life. And I don't know if you're, if you're seeing things like I'm seeing them, but my goodness, the day may be, may be approaching. Do you have a passion to communicate that? Would you pray with me as we, then we'll go on. Father, I just pause right now in this message and ask you to stir us up that, that individuals, groups of people, this church could set aside all our insecurities, all our fears, all the what ifs, what if this happens, what if that happens. Stir us up to set aside all our prosperity, all our positioning, all our popularity, all our passiveness, all our pride. Stir us up to set aside all the, the grudges that we may have held, all the criticism that we may harbor, all the stubbornness of heart, all the, the hesitation, all the avoiding of certain people. Lord, stir us up to embrace humility, to see each one as better than ourselves. Lord, we forsake 
Stir us up to forsake every desire, but our desire to know you and to know you better. Stir us up to walk away from every wish, but our wanting of you. And Lord, produce in us by your spirit a passion to communicate, revive us. I pray in Jesus' name. We have seen in weeks previous to this, a couple weeks ago, we saw the, the law of the teacher was our first principle. And we summed that up with the word fullness. Basically saying you cannot pour out in other people's lives what doesn't fill your own. And we talked about the Spirit of God and growth. The law of the teacher, fullness. And then we saw the law of education, which was the word was otherness. That the teaching that we're doing is not about us. It's about the need of the one. It's about that concrete worker and how years. And today we are looking at a new, uh, the third principle, it's called the law of activity. Can you say activity? Activity. activity. And the principle stated is, is this. Maximum learning is always the result of maximum involvement. Let me put that another way. Maximum learning is always the result of maximum doing. The best way to learn is by doing. The word that I have <laughs> crafted, maybe, is engagefulness. So we got fullness, otherness, and this third principle, engagefulness. What does that mean, engagefulness? It means you engage in the process of discipleship. It means you do. It means you obey Christ it means James 1.22, where James writes, don't, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Isn't that interesting? If, if we're just listening, if we're just hearing, if we're just reading the Bible and that's all we're doing and we do nothing with it, then we're lying to ourselves. We're tricking ourselves. Because the whole point of the word is to do it. To do what it says. James goes on, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he, what he looks like. Folks, maybe another way of saying what James one twenty four is saying is this. He forgets who he is. He forgets who he is. If you just hear and you never do, you forget who you are. Church, don't forget who God has made you to be. When, when you first repented and believed on Christ and you were saved, you became a child of the King of Kings. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives in you. You are the friend of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven and redeemed and reborn. You are a new creation. You are an ambassador of Christ, a minister of reconciliation. Jesus called you the light of the world. He called you the salt of the earth. Your destiny, 
Your eternal destiny is to rule and reign with Christ. You are a living stone being built with other living stones into God's temple. You are his chosen vessel. Don't forget who you are. Maximum learning is always the result of maximum involvement doing. Folks, we we need to, I need to take those concepts, those truths from the Word of God, and by faith act on them. Some of us, myself included, need to more fully engage because just attending church, praise God you're here, Praise God for, for so many of you, your faithfulness in this place, worshiping together. But that church attendant is a very slight bit of engaging. We can attend a church service. And I've done this for years in Ohio. We can attend a church service and be so distant that you don't know anybody. You don't talk to anybody. You don't encourage anybody. You don't edify anybody. You don't confront anybody. You don't comfort anybody. You're an island. You're alone amidst all of those people. That's not okay. That's not okay. That's not discipleship. That's not being a learner of Jesus. That's not following him. The law of activity says we do. We engage. And that means people And by engaging and drawing near to God and drawing near to people, we exert the power of the Holy Spirit. You bring that power, the power of Jesus himself in you, to bear in another person's life in so many dynamic ways. You teach. You can't do that from a safe distance. You just can't. Just a word here on engagefulness versus busyness, okay? Engagefulness versus busyness. Again, maximum learning is always the result of maximum doing or maximum involvement. When we talk about being engaged, when we talk about doing, the obvious question, I think, is busy doing what and then for what purpose for what purpose i mean i know that you're all busy Uh, i'm busy busy doing what and for what purpose let's call it this are you busy on purpose or are you just busy i think the church in america has this idea that as long as I'm extremely busy not sinning, (laughs) as long as I'm extremely busy not sinning, then I can call it Christian. I, I think sometimes in this country we define our Christianity by what we avoid rather than by what we intentionally pursue. Does that make sense? So, for example... I can focus my entire life and time of my family around, say, my my kids' school activities. 
And as long as there's nothing overtly sinful, then I'm good in my walk with Jesus. So we can, we can keep ourselves busy in this sort of morally neutral life. And as long as we don't sin by commission, and as long as we're nice people, we don't have to bother with bringing the name of Jesus up in any conversation or sharing the gospel with any person or getting too deeply involved in people's souls. We don't have to wrestle with what it means to make disciples of Christ because to be Christian is to be nice. In the meantime, we as nice people omit anything that resembles intentional, purposeful, vulnerable, time-consuming depth of relationships with God and man. For that, we're just too busy. Now, if I've been reading your mail, I, I hear people say this all the time, hey, he must have been talking to somebody about me. I don't have to talk to anybody about you. I know my own heart. And I figure if I'm preaching and hitting myself right between the eyes, I'm probably not the only one I'm hitting between the eyes. The law of activity. It states maximum learning. By the way, a disciple, the definition of the term disciple just means a learner of Christ or a follower of Christ. So maximum learning, disciple of Christ, is always the result of maximum involvement. Now I use the example of Peter and John and that dynamic that they taught that made those rulers and elders of the people uh, take note of their courage. And, and you might be one that says, you know, look, I'm, I'm not confident and I'm not courageous. There it is. I'm just not those things. I get that. So how do I learn those qualities, Jerry? I'm not those things. Well, the first thing I would ask you is, who is those things? Who is confident and courageous? The Spirit of God in you is that. He's not afraid of anybody. The Word says that. First Timothy, I think it is, 1.7. 1 Timothy 1.7 or 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you a spirit of, of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline or sound mind. Do you believe that? That he is confident and courageous. Will you trust God in that? Okay. Maximum involvement. Let's get down and dirty and practical. Will you, will you join or start a small group? Will you call someone to share in God's word together with that person, maybe on a regular basis, to be discipled by them? And here's what I've always found about discipleship, because this concept and this challenge from Matthew 28 the thing that Jesus left us here to do, I've, I've always been kind of enamored by that and saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want to be. And, and so I would look for ways uh, to connect and engage and, and, and 
be that dynamic in people's lives. Sometimes I made a mess of it, and sometimes the Lord used it. But what I've learned is that when, when that was, the Lord was actually doing that, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't just discipling, I was being discipled by the other person. In every case. It's so cool, it's a mutual thing. But I'm talking about something here that's based not on your confidence and courage in yourself, but based on his will for your life. Because that's faith, that's trust, that's doing, that's maximum involvement. You see, here, let me give you, let me give you an example, and we're rounding off and coming home here pretty soon. I teach this in our membership class. I always have since the beginning, uh, this illustration. Uh, think of a bird, okay? Uh, think of an, there's a bird, an eagle. How many wings does that have? That's got two wings. Think of your life in Christ as a bird. You have to have two healthy wings to fly. Your life needs two wings. Wing number one, I believe, is the corporate church, where the purpose of us gathering today is the public teaching of the word and corporate worship together. So you can put two W's there, word and worship. You need that wing. You need that wing. I, I just have always found, since I was just a little kid, hating to go to church, but there was something bolstering when we got together for worship and word. But if that's all your involvement, I don't think that's maximum involvement. Because if that wing is all you have, then you got a bird with one wing. You ever seen a killdeer fake like it's uh, trying to draw you away from its nest? You ever seen little killdeer babies? They are so cute. I'm rabbit trailing here. But they are so cute. We used to, we had this big yard that had no grass but a lot of weeds in it in Ohio. And so we'd have killdeer in there all the time. And every, whenever they hatched, these little fluff balls of killdeerness would be running around the yard. And there's the mama over there <laughs> flopping around in a circle, you know, like acting like she's got uh, a busted wing. But that's what it's like. If the corporate church attendance thing, wing, is all you have, then you flop around and go in circles on the ground when you try to flop. And I think there are too many believers in this country flopping around in their corporate churches. You, uh, you need the other wing. And what wing is that? Well, it's the wing of Acts 2. This is the early church, I know. It's just getting started. Get this. It says, those who accepted his, meaning Peter's message, the gospel, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They had about 120, and in one day they went to 3,120. Now, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I wish we had that problem today, but here we go. Acts 2.42, what did they do? Well, they devoted themselves to four things. The teaching of the word, which in this case is the apostles' teaching, because this wasn't put together yet. So the apostles' teaching, that's one. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
which is communion and, and the fellowship of eating meals together, and to prayer. Now, how do you do that with 3,000 people? That's quite a carry-in dinner. Well, you don't. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The believers were together, everything in common. They sold stuff and shared with each other, took care of everybody. Verse 46, here it comes. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There's your corporate worship. There's your wing one. They didn't have a church building like this. They met in the temple. And here comes wing two. They broke bread in their homes. Hey, come on over, all 3,120 of you. And that's not going to happen, right? They had smaller, intimate groups of people that met together and shared life together. The second wing each of us needs, and that's hard to do, not on purpose. <laughs> if you don't do that on purpose, guess what? It just goes away. It just kind of goes away. And we need that. More intimate time of worship where we share, pray for, fellowship together, and say, that crazy pastor, he said something. I didn't get it. I, I don't understand it. Can we talk about that? That kind of thing. And it's also a place where you apply the word together. So, so for example, in the corporate setting, let's say I teach a, a, a message on love one another, okay? Yeah, but then we need a more intimate setting where we don't teach and hear about loving one another, but we actually know each other well enough that we actually do love one another in very practical ways. That's what I'm talking about, the law of activity, engagefulness, just a deeper relating with both God and men, and doing that on purpose, maximum involvement, maximum learning is always the result of maximum involvement. And so I just challenge you with this question. You know, I, I, went, I went through a time uh, where, uh, you know, I've always been committed to more intimate, you can call it small group if you want, but discipleship group, life group, I don't care what you call it. Um, and I went through a time where, where I, I was not getting it. Uh, my, our groups were getting big, and it just, it just wasn't, I went through a time where I was really as a, as challenged that I, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I didn't want to do it anymore. And I went through some months where I didn't. And I kind of started thinking and praying about that some more and decided that I was going to do this more, more with a smaller group of people. And... Uh, we went at that again, and we saw the Lord do some amazing things. And I can sincerely tell you that the group that, that I'm meeting with now, we really look forward to being together. And uh, the Lord is working in our midst, in us, through us. So I just want to challenge you with that. When will you more deeply engage the law of activity, engagefulness. Engagefulness. When we get busy doing the things of obedience to Christ instead of just the things that keep us busy. 
When will we embrace the truth that the dynamic Christian life is not defined by what we avoid, but by what we intentionally pursue in the power and obedience of the Holy Spirit? Maximum learning is always the result of maximum deep, intimate involvement with God and men. That's the law of activity. Engagefulness. Amen. Thank you. You're called to teach. Let's pray. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Father, thank you for uh, this uh, challenge. Um, thank you for what you did in that early church that we get to, get to read about and see and be the product of their message as it's come down through the centuries. Um, Father, we pray for this one across the street right now. I know it's just a time where uh, so many people are fearful, so many people are struggling in, in their health with this this uh, COVID-19 thing, and uh, there's so much information we don't know, and it conflicts. Um, I pray for this one, Lord, that um, pray for health, strength, and that uh, they would draw near to you and find not just healing in the body, but healing for their soul and their eternal life. Um, help us to be responsive and seek out maximum involvement in our lives with you and your word and your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fruit of the spirit that lives within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got them all. I uh, might have missed one. Um, but it's who you are and the fact that you want to live in and through us and, and conform us to your image. That's not a cookie cutter thing. That's very unique. Each individual blends with the spirit of Christ to become uniquely the person you have created us to be. That's a pretty cool thing. Help us to, to pursue that, knowing Christ with the same passion that Jesus pursued us, or with a similar passion. Give us that passion to communicate in Jesus' name. Amen.